You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we've said, first of all, that the structure of the order of Nashim, which I think we're going to call Thumb, that it's the order, it's the, it's the, the feminine order. So the structure of Nashim is it starts with Yivamot, which is about lever at marriage. But Yivamot is really about marriage in general, forbidden and obligatory marriage. So this is the beginning of the order. And then we're going to go through eventually Ketubot, which is about the obligations of each side, vows, Nazirim, so to the jealous husband. And then at, right at the end, we get on to Gitin, divorce and Kiddushin betrothal. So that's broadly the subject matter of the tractate. But we're going to begin with, uh, it says on the can, or the sticker says, Yivamot, lever at marriage, but really we're interested in what is forbidden and what is permitted. That is really the subject matter of this tractate. And we need, we're struggling with the obligation from the Torah to marry the, marry the wife of a deceased brother, if that deceased brother deceases without any offspring. And yet we're also very conscious of the fact that marrying the wife of your brother is absolutely forbidden. So we have two completely opposing, two completely opposing mitzvot, both written in the Torah. We have two, and we have two approaches, by the way, we can, we can marry her. That's, we call that yibum. Or we can go through the process of refusal, which is chalitza. Uh, it's a chalitza means that the woman says, I refuse to marry this man. And we talked about the fact that in the beginning, the rabbis used to prefer that people did yubum rather than chalitza. Nowadays, and already in the time of the Mishnah, it's written, the rabbis really prefer that one does chalitza rather than yibum. Now, the first Mishnah of the tractate outlined 15 women who exempt, who are essentially not eligible for Yibum because they have a close relationship. They're forbidden with the brother. Their husband has died, but because they have a close relationship with their husband's brother, they can't marry their husband's brother. And not only are they exempt from Yibum, and that means they're exempt from Chalitza as well, so that these whole series of Halachot don't apply to them at all. They're exempt from Yibum, they don't have to marry the husband's brother, they're exempt from Chalitza, they don't have to go through the ceremony of refusal, but also they, their rivals, the Mishnah starts talking about rivals, their rivals are exempt as well, their rivals are other wives married to the same man. And in the time of the Mishnah, actually in the time of Tanakh, it was possible for a man to marry two women. So the Mishnah is saying, look, if one of the women is forbidden to the deceased man's brother, then all of his other wives are exempt as well. And the first Mishnah makes a general statement as to what these relationships are. For example, his daughter. So it's possible. It, it's possible in Jewish law for a person to marry. I mean, this is a classic example. We need to go through this just to understand what's going on. So you can marry your niece. You can marry your niece. It's permitted in Jewish law. 
But if you marry your niece and you die, then the, you've married the daughter of your brother. And your brother clearly can't marry his daughter for the purpose of leverage marriage. It's, it's, it's forbidden. So she's exempt. That's the classic, classic example. She's, you know, the niece is the niece is exempt because she can't be married to her father. But not only is she exempt, but any other woman married to the same deceased brother is also exempt. And the first Mishnah brings this list of 15 incestuous relationships, which essentially exempt the family members concerned, both from Yibum and from Chalitza. And the second Mishnah, which we're just about to jump into, asks, how does it work? How does it work? Because the first Mishnah is so kind of, it's so packed out that no one can quite get their mind around it. So the second Mishnah asks, Kate Sad Potrot Sarotehem. How, what does it mean they exempt their rival wives? What does it mean when they exempt someone else who's married to the same deceased person? And the Mishnah is going to explain. So his daughter or anybody else who he couldn't marry was married to his brother. Yeah, his brother's married his niece, i.e. It, it's a question of a brother who's married a niece. It's forbidden. The brother dies. The niece clearly can't marry her father. What happens? Maybe that deceased brother had another wife. Umate. And the brother dies. Hashem just as the deceased man's, just as the the um, the daughter of the brother of the deceased is exempt from Yibum and from Chalitza, so her rival is exempt as well. In other words, nobody in the family has to do has to do Yibum and Chalitza. But the Mishnah is still asking. Okay, we kind of we understand the daughter. We understand the daughter, but what what's going on with the daughter's rival? Because the Mishnah actually said the um, the, the the rivals are exempt. The rivals are exempt, as are the rivals' rivals, and the rivals' rivals' rivals until the end of the world. At Sof Haolam was the language of the Mishnah. So this this state of rivalry and exemption seems to echo through like a chain reaction. And I think this is really what the Mishnah is trying to explain. So the Mishnah goes on to say, So maybe, maybe the, the rival went out and married a second brother. That's possible. Married a second brother. And that second brother had a second wife. Umate, and the second brother died. Just as the rival of the daughter of the first daughter is exempt, so the rival of the rival is exempt. Even a hundred, i.e. this could happen. I guess it would be quite unusual to have a hundred brothers in the family. And the Mishnah is, I think the Mishnah is giving the, the, us the number a hundred just to say there's no limit here. But essentially, what the Mishnah is saying is, look, if 
these family relationships continue with different brothers every single and the and the brothers keep dying and i guess lifespans were shorter in those days and people used to die when their wives were of kind of still a marriageable age so maybe this was more common right in the time of the mishnah than it is today um however for however many kind of sets of deaths and relationships this happens every single one of the women involved is exempt from yibum and chalitza that's how the mishnah explains the first part of the mishnah of the of the of the mishnah we learned yesterday now, the, yesterday's Mishnah also described the fact that if, if she had died, she's exempt. Let's go back and check that Mishnah. Vechulan imetu or me'anu or nitgarshu or shimtsu elonyot Generally, a wife who can't perform leveret marriage because of her possibly incestuous relationship you know, with the brother, generally she exempts her rival wife as well. But there's a but. There's a but. If she died, if they died, or if they refused, or if they were divorced, or if they, were, they couldn't be childbearing, then the rivals are permitted. So there seems to be some second category of incestuous relationship where the rivals are, however, permitted. And the second Mishnah is going to explain that this second category essentially results from relationships in which the, 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 the woman who, was, who is barred from Yibum and Chalitza was never able to perform Yibum and Chalitza anyway in the first place because either she wasn't around, maybe she didn't survive, or maybe she wasn't fully married. And that's the second part of the Mishnah. Let's just have a look at it. Ketzad Imeituhen. How is it? That if they died, their rivals are permitted. So a man's daughter or any one of these forbidden relatives was married to his brother. So the brother has basically married his niece. And the brother had another wife. But here's the but. She died or was divorced before the brother died. So in other words, when the brother dies, they're no longer married. They're no longer married because either they're divorced or because she has predeceased him. And this act of exemption, this act of exempting her rivals only works if she's alive at the time of the death of, of the brother, the time of the death of her husband. If she predeceases him or if she's divorced from him, she can't exempt her rivals. And that's essentially how the Mishnah concludes. If after her death or her divorce, her brother dies, the brother dies, the, her rival, i.e. the second wife, is permitted.
וכל היכולה למען ולא מעינה, צרתה חולצת ולא מייבנת. If she could refuse but didn't refuse. Now this is referring to a woman who's married off as a minor. She's married off as a minor and she has the option of refusing when she reaches the age of majority. And this is a halachic twist, actually. Her marriage as a minor is only of rabbinic. It's only rabbinic. It's not, effectively, it's not a Torah marriage. I mean, it works for practical purposes. But it's not considered deraita from by Torah law. She's not considered married. She's not considered married, and because she's not considered married by Torah law, she's not eligible for yibum. She's not eligible to go through lever of marriage. So, but it's it's a delicate question. It's a halachic gray area. And so the halacha demands, rather than saying she's exempt from yibum, because there is a rabbinic marriage there. I mean, she has been married, right? So the halacha demands that she refuses rather than goes through lever and marriage. I mean, now pretty much the halacha pretty much demands everybody refuses. But then it would only be in these gray areas that we demand she refuses. And the Mishnah concludes, Sarata choletzet velo mitya benet. Her rival, um, her rival gives chalitza and does not undergo yibo. It's a dubious case. We just give chalitza. We don't kind of we 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 don't want to go into the gray area. That's the second mishnah. It's really explaining the first mishnah of the masachet. And then the mishnah is going to go on to say, look, shesh ayrot chamuchot meila. There are actually six relations which are more restrictive than these. In that they can only be married to strangers. So there are six relationships where actually it, it's absolutely incestuous for the leveret marriage to take place. And then as a kind of as a matter of, I guess, because it's so obvious this marriage can't take place, the marriage with rivals is permitted. What are these six relationships? Imo, his brother. Sorry, Imo, his mother. This is the mother of the. This is the mother of the surviving brother. How can she possibly be married to his brother? It must be a, must be a half brother on his father's side. The Eshet Aviv and the wife of his father. Similar question. The Achot Aviv and the sister of his father. The Achotome Aviv, his sister by his father's side of the family, not by his mother's. And the sister of his brother from his father. And his paternal brother's wife. And all these relationships are directly incestuous. And so in this case, in fact, the rivals are permitted. Now, all these Mishnayot have been taught According to Beit Hillel. And we normally go according to Beit Hillel, at least now. But that was not the case in the time of Mishnah. And so the Mishnah is now going to quote the view of Beit Shammai, which is totally different. Beit Shammai, Beit Shammai permit the rivals. So we've just said that the rivals are forbidden, even the rivals and the rivals, or the rivals of the rivals of the rivals. If there's a chain of marriages to different brothers, all the rivals are forbidden. They're, they're exempt from Khalid Sa. 
um, they're, they're exempt from Chalitza and Yibum. So Beit Shammai actually permit the rivals to the surviving brothers. Beit Shammai prohibit them. And so it's the other way around. Beit Shammai don't agree with Beit Hillel. And if they perform chalitza, chaltzu, if they perform chalitza, Beit Shammai poslin minakuna. If they did perform chalitza, Beit Shammai would actually forbid them from marrying a priest. So that the status of yibum is very different from another another kind of marriage because the woman is is assumed to be automatically married. At the time that, that her husband dies, she's kind of assumed to be immediately married to the surviving brother if the dead husband dies without offspring. And it requires chalitza in order to break this bound. So Beit Shammai would say, look, she can't marry. Um, Beit, if they perform chalitza, Beit Shammai would disqualify from them from marrying a priest. Beit Hillel Machshirin. Beit Hillel would actually make them eligible. Nit Yabama, if, if she actually performed Yibum, it would go the other way around. Nit Yab Nit Nit Yabamu, if they if they performed Yibum. Beit Shammai would say they're kosher to marry a priest. Beit Hillel would 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 disqualify them because the the Yibum is 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 according to Beit Hillel that we've just learned, the Yibum is it's it is it's illegal. It's illegal, and someone who's married essentially illegally can't marry a priest. So Beit Shammai and Beit Hinnel actually disagree fundamentally about forbidden and permitted marriages. And what is extraordinary, what is extraordinary about this Mishnah is that it continues to say, even though these forbid and these permit, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel disagree on the laws of permitted and forbidden marriages. Beit Shammai did not refrain from marrying women from Beit Hillel. And similarly, Beit Hillel from Beit Shammai. In other words, even though they disagreed, they would still intermarry between themselves, even though there's question and there's questions of mum's root here, because we're talking about marrying, we're talking about forbidden relationships. And yet Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel still intermarried. All the purity and impurity. All the purity and impurity, which are these declared pure and these declared impure, i.e. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel disagreed. On purity and impurity. They none of them refrained from essentially using the pure things that they'd declared pure for others, i.e., and I'm just using the long translation here, neither of them refrained from using the utensils of the others that the others had declared pure for the preparation of things that had to be kept pure. In other words, even though Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai disagreed on absolutely fundamental principles, they still respected each other's practice as far as marriage 
was concerned and as far as utilization of holy objects. And it's really interesting that in this today's world of kind of polarization that we see back in at the time of the Mishnah, that there seems to have been sufficient res- mutual respect between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, that even though des- they disagreed with one another on absolutely fundamental issues, they had sufficient respect for one another to carry on normal relationship. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. <laughs>